Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I don't understand people who break up with someone at the beginning of a meal because what a waste. At least do it at the end. I've got a colleague at work who was broken up with something like 20 years ago um, over Thai and she had a spring roll in her mouth as he broke up with her and to this day she cannot she can't even look at them she's just they make her feel so sick because she associates that with the stab in her heart if someone comes into work and says that they're heartbroken I don't think we give them a lot of space and, and respect in the way that we might if if it was a different form of grief. When you feel something that deeply, the last thing you feel like doing is eating. Hi, I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we'll be looking at everything from food and love to food and family, food and friendship, and even food and grief. This week's episode is Food and Heartbreak with Jessie Stevens, author of the brilliant new non-fiction book, Heartsick. Jessie is a Sydney-based writer and podcaster with a master's degree in history and gender studies. She co-hosts the brilliant and hilarious Mamma Mia Out Loud podcast, covering everything from pop culture to politics, feminism to fashion. For anyone in the UK, I'd say the podcast is like the Australian equivalent of the high-low with Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton, so that's very high praise indeed. In 2021, Jessie published her first book, Heartsick, a collection of three nonfiction stories about love and loss and what happens in between. I first heard about Jessie because we share the same editor, the wonderful Jane Osborne at Pam Macmillan, who is publishing my debut novel, Single Bald Female, as well as publishing Heartsick in the UK. Jane and I have exactly the same taste in books and TV. We both love Expectation by Anna Hope and shows like Selling Sunset and Married at First Sight. So when she said she was sending me an advanced copy of Heartsick, I knew I was going to love it. But once I actually read it, I was just absolutely blown away. I've experienced heartbreak quite a few times myself, and I felt completely seen by this book. Jessie just has a way of capturing in words the earth-shattering, vomit-inducing, emptiness-making grief of heartbreak. And I have been raving about this book to all of my friends, so I can't wait to speak to her. And because this is the Life in Food podcast, Jessie is here to talk to me about the relationship between heartbreak and food and how our appetites can be heavily affected by our emotions. Why is it that the films always depict women sitting around eating Haagen-Dazs from the tub when in reality, when we're heartbroken, we often can't eat at all? Jessie, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Life in Food. Thank you for having me. That was so lovely. (laughs) I'm very, very flattered. (laughs) 
Oh, well, I mean every word of it. I absolutely <laughs> love this book. It's amazing. And I saw it in the bookshop for the first time the other day oh, and I was really excited for you. <laughs> I wish I could be over there. It's just, yeah, to to be in the bookshops in in the UK. I mean, some of my favourite authors in the world are, are from the UK. So it is very surreal to think it's on the other side of the world. Well, hopefully you'll be able to get over here in, in uh, the not too distant future. So first of all, could you tell us a bit about Heartsick and why you decided to write this book? I decided to write it because I had an experience in my early 20s after I was heartbroken and I went into an airport bookshop and I remember desperately searching for a book that would dive in and reflect how I was feeling and not... Uh, wish it away. I definitely didn't want self-help. I'm not much of a self-help person. I just wanted some sort of um, explanation, I, I suppose. And I found myself gravitating towards almost forums because I wanted to read like Reddit threads about people who had also gone through this and were able to, I suppose, normalize it and make me feel as as though this happens to everyone and it passes. So as soon as I had that thought, I'd been wondering for years how I'd go about it. And I uh, work for a media organization in Australia and I love stories. I love listening to stories and, and helping people tell them. So I eventually landed on having these three interwoven stories. And I think the reason why um, I wrote it in this way, which is a little bit unusual, is because I love fiction. Fiction's what I read. Uh, but I didn't have the guts to write fiction because I think it's too hard. <laughs> so I almost needed the structure of other people's stories to give me a plot, but I could play with um, elements of fiction uh, to really um, create pace and momentum because I want a book that I can't put down. Uh, the reality is if I put down a book, I'm probably not picking it up again. So um that's what I wanted to combine the features I love most about fiction into, you know, having having this underlying truth throughout it. Oh my God, that's exactly what you did. I'm very much the same. Like I prefer fiction to nonfiction. I often listen to nonfiction in audiobooks because I, I like it that yeah. way. And it's often the, the person who wrote it actually reading it. But um, I agree that often nonfiction books are put downable and this is it reads like a fiction book I think mm. that's probably what I loved about it as well is that you, you literally can't put it down so yeah it, it's amazing <laughs> um so I'd love it if you'd read us a couple of pages from the book please I was going to read I've just got um one of the characters uh Anna who is married and she has a family and I was just going to read some of the beginning of, of her story as a taster so Sitting beside Anna on a matching wicker deck chair, angled in such a way as to encourage conversation between the two people occupying them, is a wrong man. If I told him, she wonders, would it ruin my life? She opens her mouth and closes it again, picks up the glass of Riesling to her right and takes a sip. This moment is almost perfect. The southern New South Wales sky is fairy floss pink and a warm breeze tickles her hairline. It's starting to smell like summer, citronella and faraway traces of backburning. The kids, Rachel, 17, and the twins, 11, are at their grandparents' until 7. Billy, the dog, is curled up beside her, waiting for dinner time. 
She lives in the house with the swimming pool and the French doors and the deck looking out onto dense bushland, just like she'd always wanted. The deck he'd built with his calloused hands. She looks down at the dark timber panels. Him, the foundation upon which her whole life has been built. He'd tell her that if you muck around with the foundations of anything, the structure will collapse and you'll have to start again. Not very efficient, he'd mumble, before climbing into his truck to tear down a perfectly beautiful cottage to make way for a lifeless monstrosity. She hears him breathe a forced sigh from the chair beside her and fury rises in her chest. For a moment she thinks she might hate him and then remembers slowly that she doesn't. I'll leave it there. Oh, that actually gave me shivers because it's about the bit before heartbreak, which sometimes can be where if you're the breaker upper, then the bit before heartbreak can be worse because you're dreading what's to come and the part that you're going to break and you know that your own is going to break as well. Exactly. And that's, I think, what's so interesting about that story is that it's one thing to have your heart broken by someone else um, and to... uh, harbour that and and know that it was on on them ultimately and you can kind of stew in your own victimhood which there's something a little bit lovely about that but when you're doing it to someone and you cannot help how you feel there's such an added element of pain which um I don't think people talk about a lot and you almost don't want to feel sorry for yourself because you're also really hurting someone and it was your action and you have to live with that yeah, I completely, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's like, yeah, you, you you can't, you're almost not allowed to feel heartbreak if you're the one doing the breaking up, but you do feel heartbreak as well. Like if you're a nice person, I suppose. Um, actually, I'm going to skip forward to what, what was going to be one of my last questions, which is um, my favorite line in the book, which was <laughs> heartbreak does not seem to be a brand of grief we respect. Why do you think we have this lack of respect for heartbreak? I think because heartbreak has been feminized and anything that's feminized we dismiss and think is uh, something not to be taken seriously, something that just happens to women and therefore um, it's derided, I think, culturally. Uh, And that couldn't be more wrong for a number of reasons. I mean, any man will know that heartbreak does not belong to women um, and it is not something that just young people feel. Uh, But even, I suppose, I think it's a new thing because if you look back at the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, they knew that being heartbroken, like, could ruin a life for for some um, in their mythology. And they really lent into that and had quite a, beautiful vocabulary when they spoke about it but I think because now we see grief so much as um you know when someone passes which is completely legitimate we think that people are maybe more expendable and maybe that's part of why we've decided that it's something not to stew on for too long uh with self-help and that genre rising I think it's very much like you look after yourself pull your socks up, get it together, plenty of fish in the sea, get on a dating app, you can't complain. Uh, Whereas, of course, that doesn't make you feel any less lonely. So I I do think that it's become something that we, yeah, that that we really 
dismiss. And if someone comes into work and says that they're heartbroken, I don't think we give them a lot of space and, and respect in the way that we might if if it was a different form of grief. Yeah, I mean, it is also as if there's a time on it, like you're allowed a, a few days or a week or so to wallow. But when you have a bereavement, people would completely understand if in a year's time or a few months time, you weren't over it and you were still sad. Whereas with heartbreak, it's a different thing. And actually, I guess for some people and in some situations, a um, heartbreak could feel worse than grief from um, a person's death because perhaps the person has chosen to leave you and that that really hurts whereas if if a person dies then they don't choose to leave you exactly again I think that that's about um being dealt a, a circumstance which which comes with its own pain but when someone exists and continues to live a parallel life distinct from you where they fall in love with other people and it's a series of griefs I think it it doesn't mm. stop so in in that way yeah again I I just don't think that it's something we we respect we dignify with tradition or ritual um which is why I felt like we so I I needed this book so much yeah, well, I, I agree. Me too. <laughs> um, so let's go straight in with the food angle. And actually also speaking of rituals. So in the movies, we do see this ritual, which is when a woman gets dumped, and it's always a woman, as you say, we always see this montage of them sobbing into their pot of ice cream while watching sad films with their girlfriends. Whereas in reality, well, certainly for me, when I get my heart broken, I can't eat a thing. So is that the same thing for you? And if so, why do you th- think heartbreak affects our appetite so strongly? It is absolutely the same thing for me. And what I discovered through the process of writing this book as well is how many of those physiological responses are not unique to us. So almost everyone I spoke to, I think, had moments where they either threw up or nearly threw up, like that nausea that you feel really in your body when you get a shocking, shocking blow um, was really common. And of course, when when you feel something that deeply, the last thing you feel like doing is eating. And so I've always thought in movies when you see someone sitting on the couch, um, and I suppose that it's supposed to represent a, a little bit of comfort, but I've never at points of kind of acute anxiety or crisis or pain or sadness, first thing that goes. And I think that it is. It's it's feeling sick, um, whereas stress, as in I have an exam tomorrow or I have a book deadline, absolutely, I would eat everything in my house. But real, real pain, I think a lot of people go um, one way or the other. And if you're someone inclined to to, you know, lose your appetite altogether, then that's what happens during heartbreak. It really stood out to me that you called this book Heart Sick rather than Mm. Heartbreak. Is that why you chose that name? Yes. And I also thought that there was something more active about the term heart sick uh, because Mm. it it feels longer. It feels like a state, sort of like seasickness is something that you experience over, over a period and it ebbs and flows. Heartbreak felt like a moment, sudden, and then it it ends as if it's a as if it's a second in time rather than an entire emotional experience. Um, 
but that was something that really stuck out to me in all of them was the the sickness element. And I remember Claire, who's in one of the um, women in the book, uh, when she discovered her something awful about her partner, she vomited into the rose bush out out the front. That was a really vivid memory for her. Um, that her body just reacted that that you know, catastrophically. Yeah. There's a line in, in my book uh, where the character Jess is uh, has gone through a breakup and she says she can't eat, she can't sleep. Um, but it's actually not just even that you can't eat. It's also that you you, you can't or don't want to cook, right? Yes. Do you think that heartbreak just affects our desire to do everything? Yes. And cooking is almost about zest for life. There's also such hope in cooking, like inherent in it. There's there's joy and there's slowness and there's mindfulness and there's thinking and I don't think you are leaning into that when you are heartbroken. So that was that's interesting because it's another element is that um, things like eating, when they did eat, it was takeaway or it was something that had to be instant and they didn't want to think about it. And it certainly wasn't about nourishing your body or feeling good and pleasure when you ate. It, it wasn't that um, at all. But it's funny because I was listening to a podcast recently with Marion Keys, the um, Irish author. Oh, love her. Oh, she's just amazing. The and best. <laughs> she was talking about um, an experience she had with quite severe depression. And she, the thing that she's often said got her out of that was she just started cooking and baking and moving her hands and creating something was really good for her. So I definitely think that's, for a lot of people, probably a a great way out. Yeah, absolutely. But I think just a little bit later down the line, like you're not ready for that at the beginning, are you? Um, So the good thing about heartbreak is that it eventually subsides and you can eat again. So once you've reached that stage, what do you think are the ultimate heartbreak foods? Look, I think eating for pleasure is really good for you and it is a form of self-care. So if that is whatever you love, for me it's always going to be chocolate. I just love (laughs) it. It just makes me so, so happy. I put my chocolate in the freezer and then I eat it frozen. It's a whole ritual. Uh, (gasps) It upsets a lot of people. It probably upsets Brits. But in Australia, it's so hot that you don't want melted sticky chocolate. So you just have, I mean, your room temperature chocolate is probably frozen. So that's why you would never have to do it. (laughs) But we do. Uh, So I do that um, and, and lean into sort of, I really like going out and kind of, you know, whether it's Mexican or Greek or kind of hearty, hearty meals. That's the stuff that brings me a lot of, a lot of joy. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I I genuinely can't even eat chocolate if it's just straight out the fridge. So, but yes, I agree. (laughs) It's a a little bit harder where you are. Um, So I was actually talking to my boyfriend about this yesterday and he said the minute he craved, so after a heartbreak, the minute he craved a certain thing, like whether it's a Sunday roast or whatever it is, he knew that he was back on track after the heartbreak. And that made me think, do you think that heartbreak is kind of like the stages of grief? So you can tell by the foods you're craving what stage you're at in in getting over it. Absolutely. And I, I really believe that grief, 
lives, and I don't want to sound too woo-woo about it, but it lives in the body in almost a dormant way because one thing I discovered through this as well is that um, men and women, although they experience the same heartbreak, uh, can process it in very different ways, which might be that uh, some men won't talk about it and won't work through those emotional steps as quickly, as efficiently, as wholly as, as a woman would um, who's maybe a little bit more in touch with her emotions, has a vocabulary, knows who to call, starts to journal, whatever she does, um, I think that that's why leaning into it is often better than leaning away from it. But your body doesn't lie. And so that's an an interesting way in which it signals, hey, things are not okay. Um, and that's why I think that appetite is actually often a, a great indicator of checking in with yourself and going, oh, something just doesn't feel right. So I do mm-hmm. think that there is that stage of absolute sickness and just thinking, oh, I couldn't drink that coffee or go out for brunch or all those things that I used to enjoy, which is like a very acute situational depression. And I don't mean that by saying that everyone who is heartbroken will experience mental illness, but the symptoms of being very heartbroken and and being depressed, similar to any catastrophe in your life, I mean, there's going to be similarities there. Um, And that's one of, you know, the first things with depression is that you lose joy and interest in the things that gave you joy before. So I think over time you find that the light comes back into the things that you once enjoyed and, in Mm -hmm. fact, you try new things, and this was beautiful to discover as well, is is watching people on their journey of rediscovery of themselves. So say you were with a partner who was a vegetarian, like you hear so many stories of that person then being like, oh, I sat down and ate a steak. Like it, it's almost <laughs> symbolic in terms of I get to reinvent myself again and the bricks of my life are being rebuilt in a new arrangement and that might mean that I'm this person now or um, I don't have to eat that crap food or the fact they always made me that and I hated it. There's also something liberating about um, finding yourself again, I suppose. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, and, and there's also that thing of, uh, like, often it's not just the foods that we don't eat, it's the, it's the foods or the restaurants or the cafes or wherever that we associate with the partner that we've just lost. So if there was a favorite Mexican restaurant where you used to go to with your ex, you might not want to go there for, like, a year or something. But mm. then perhaps once, once you start to feel over it, you'll start to resume those activities and maybe even face going to that place that you went to or that food that you always ate with them. Exactly. It's like exposure therapy. I've got a um, <laughs> a colleague at, at work who was broken up with something like 20 years ago um, over Thai and she had a spring roll in her mouth as he broke up with her. And to this day, she cannot, she can't even look at them. She's just, they make her feel so sick because she associates that with the stab in her heart that came. And then of course, I don't understand people who break up with someone at the beginning of a meal because what a waste. At least do it at the oh, end. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, even now she's just got no interest in Thai food because she's like, no, nah, it, it honestly ruined it. Yeah, I have um, a pub near, well, a flat that I used to live at in London um, and a guy actually took me to the pub to break up with me and I then had to, like at the beginning of a drink, and I then had to live near that pub for another year or so and every time I walked past it, I was like, oh, that's the pub where I got broken up with. Yeah. I was like, why didn't he just do it over the phone or something? <laughs> you know, he ruined a perfectly good pub for me. There are so many places I can't go. It's horrible. <laughs> Um, So you spent a lot of time interviewing Claire, Patrick and Anna, the three people whose stories you told through the book. Did any of them experience comfort eating during their heartbreak? And if so, what stories did they share? Uh, Interestingly, I think probably Patrick, I think, developed more of an interest in cooking. I think that his relationship, people looking at it, would see a fair bit of codependency between him and his partner and they were very domesticated and um, uh, very, very close. But I think that because it was their first relationship and the first person that he officially moved out with, they fell into certain roles. So I think that that was quite good for him to become a real new person um, after that. I think uh, for Anna it was different in that when you have a family when you have children um, and you are mostly the person who is staying at home and doing a lot of the caring, that food becomes work in a way it it doesn't if you don't have kids because you are constantly sort of going through the motions almost in a robotic way, which she, she described. Um, and I just know that for Claire, because what 
ensued for her was a real, um, uh, probably the most acute mental illness following a breakup. Um, for her, I know that the relationship with food was just really complicated and that it wasn't something that she could enjoy. And I think that what came up with her as well, especially with her former partner, was about um, her own body image insecurities that were poked at by a partner, uh, which can change your relationship with your body for a really, really long time. It takes a lot to, to get that back. Yeah, well, I was going to talk to you about body image, actually, because when we're in a long term relationship, we often talk about people getting comfortable and maybe putting on weight. Whereas after a breakup, people often decide to get to in the best shape of their life and get mm. fit. And I remember I started running after a relationship uh, 10 years or so ago. So why do you think relationships in general can have such a big effect on our bodies and our desire to exercise and look good? I think it's a lot about reinvention. I mean, you think about the Khloe Kardashian revenge body, that trope, which is so awful because, and it's something that I suppose men and women do it, although women do it more because they think, we think if we are beautiful, then if we were more beautiful, then they would have continued to love us. And that's, so sad and so wrong um, that I think it can also turn very quickly into a form of punishment and self-flagellation. But in in a positive way, I think that it can can also be about control and going, I'm going to set a goal and achieve it. Um, I've also heard of people say that with with grief, uh, similar to how you wear black when you go to a funeral and it's a, it's a marker of I am in pain, this is a period of grief. Sometimes it feels so wrong that people can't see it and so is the haircut you get or the clothes you wear or, you know, the changes to your body that you make also a way of signalling to the world like I am not the same, I am changed yeah. and I want you to to be able to see that. Um, and I can very much relate with that. Like my worst haircuts came after being dumped. I just, that <laughs> that's like the biggest piece of advice is just do not cut your hair for a good <laughs> few weeks and don't do anything drastic because you try and be this new person who can pull off bangs or a colour that doesn't suit you because you sort of want to, I think as well because you are so loathing that person they dumped and you're going yeah. I, ha- I hate that person because that they hated that person and it's almost a way of separating yourself as far as you can from from this you know element of yourself that just got brutally rejected can you tell me a bit about your relationship with food are you a fussy eater do you love cooking yes I am a fussy eater um I grew up with a mum who is not a great cook she had two sets of twins uh, under two and a half. So she had four kids under two and a half and that explains my entire upbringing, which is chaos, a lot of just quick stuff in the oven, everything was burnt um, and and we were all very fussy and picky. I think I'm probably not a particularly adventurous person um, 
And so I grew up, you know, having my very specific, I'd eat a lot of spaghetti bolognese, um, not too keen on vegetables, just, yeah, very, and I, I kind of regret that now because I look back at all the things that you miss out on and it's only in adulthood and since traveling that I think I really opened up and tried new things but it's a weird relationship with with food because it's very similar to my dad which is that we say we treat it as gut luggage it's just you um you eat because you know you need it for fuel but Mm. you know today when I'm at work and it gets to one o'clock and I have to eat I kind of roll my eyes like ugh. Like I know I'm hungry, but I wish I could. Sometimes I just wish there was an injection or a pill or oh, something wow. because, especially during the day, I have very little interest in food during the day, and then at night, everything changes. Very strange. And how has that relationship with food evolved over the years? Uh, I think it's actually been very much led by partners I've had um, and friendships I've had, uh, where I've people that I love have cooked for me or introduced me to different foods for some reason I always go out with foodies um (laughs) and that's kind of been great although my my partner I've been with him for five or six years um he loves really good food and that's where he would spend his money is a you know really nice fancy restaurant and he's just decided now that when he goes it's just not worth taking me so he's got his mate like him and his best mate go now and they just go and they do their 12 courses. I don't even know what it's called. Um, Tasting menu. Yes, exactly, and <laughs> and enjoy it. And he takes photos and shows me later. But he knows that that experience is a little bit wasted on me because I'm going to be picky about something. I have a very strange phobia of fish. I, can't, I do not eat fish. Um, it's, it's very, very odd, but I'm getting better. I'm getting a lot better. Well, I'm really actually interested in, you mentioned that you're a twin. I did not know that you had another set of twins in your family, which is just phenomenal. Massive respect to your mom, and I don't blame her for not learning how to cook. Um, but by coincidence, in this first season of my podcast, I'm actually interviewing three different guests who are all who are each a twin. Um, so I wanted to ask you if you and your sister Claire have any major similarities or differences or quirks in the way first in the way you like to eat and secondly in the way you experience heartbreak uh interestingly she was um she was vegetarian for years and years and years because her partner was so she was influenced by that I think um but now eats meat she's a lot pickier than I am still uh and less likely to try new things I think she would quite happily eat pretty much the same thing for lunch and dinner for the rest of her life although we both have a massive sweet tooth um always have love love that chocolate uh and in terms of heartbreak it's been quite difficult because she met her partner when we were 18, 17, um, and they are still together and that's 13 years. So through all of my ups and downs, and and it was weird because we always experienced the same things and I never had to explain things to her because she would just understand. 
And all of a sudden, I'm having these heartbreaks throughout my 20s and I and she's looking at me going, I don't get it. I don't understand why you're upset about that person that left you, that you're so much better than him or he was never even that nice to you. She couldn't see what it does to your self-esteem, especially mm. if it happens a few times in a row. Um, and that was really difficult for our relationship because yeah. she's always made much more sensible decisions when <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> who she loves. Um, and I, I definitely had a longer journey. I bet you've learned a lot over those years though. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> and sort of ended up with with the nice guy that and her yeah. her partner is the loveliest guy um but for whatever reason I just needed a whole lot longer to discover that that's, yeah. that's who you want <laughs> well I'm the same so I get that um so talk to me about your writing routine when you're writing this book or when you're writing in general do you have uh well you've already said that you don't even think about eating during the day so you have a a writing an eating routine um it's mostly around coffee that's that's pretty much (laughs) that is very much central um I have found though that I would I'm not much of a morning person but writing has changed that because I I can't start late I just think I lose momentum my brain isn't as sharp so um, I'm in the process of writing again at the moment and I will get up, try and write for a little bit before I eat and then have um, like scrambled eggs, avocado, feta on like sourdough, like something really um, uh, substantial that will fuel me for hours and I'll, I'll enjoy that and then I'll sit down and try and do, you know, a bunch more without getting distracted by I think I used to be very into the sugar hits and the sort of um that was getting me through but it's not the best thing for your brain uh and it's quite distracting so now I I very much am like okay eat for your brain eat for your concentration and and your focus so that's the idea although I would normally get distracted and procrastinate and end up cleaning my desk or something for hours and writing 10 words (laughs) (laughs) well we're very similar in that sense but not in the food sense I'm like eat all day every half an hour I'll I'll write 10 words and then I'll be like okay what can I eat next so um so I'm going to ask you the quick questions that I ask everyone on this podcast and I think you've already answered the first one which is your relationship to food fuel or pleasure (laughs) fuel (laughs) favorite meal of the day dinner name one food that always makes you feel happy oh i look chocolate is cliche because i've said that um so i'm gonna say pasta oh good one one food that has healed you i'm gonna say eggs and i'm gonna say eggs because i'm really um i've been really iron deficient and eggs is one of the best things you can eat if that's a problem for you and it has just made me feel a lot better poached scrambled scrambled always scrambled Love it. Uh, One dish that reminds you of family. Spaghetti bolognese. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. One recipe that everyone should know how to cook. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I'm going to show how little little I know. I'm just obsessed with pasta. Oh, my goodness. 
a pan-fried gnocchi mm. will get you a long way. Um, and I also, everyone should be able to cook what my partner cooks, which is like a lamb roast. I personally can't cook it, but I think everyone else should cook it for me. So it's a lamb roast with like um, a pesto thing and uh, tzatziki and he does like sweet potatoes and pumpkin and it's so, my mum used to make lamb and I couldn't, it was so chewy, I couldn't swallow it. (laughs) But his is so tender and I'm like, oh, this is how lamb is meant to taste. Oh, sounds amazing. Um, your best meal ever? Ooh, that's a good question. There is a place near me that does cheeseburger spring rolls. <laughs> it's a fancy Whoa. restaurant, but it does cheeseburger spring rolls. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else they have. Uh, these incredible, it's sort of like an Asian fusion thing and everything they do is just brilliant and kind of weird. It's got like a miso eggplant thing. Love it. Oh, I guess your friend who can't eat the spring rolls for life yeah. <laughs> into that. <laughs> I have not invited her. <laughs> um, finally, final question, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone in terms of heartbreak? It would be to let yourself feel it, lean into it, don't try and rush it. Um, the more you try and dismiss it away and feel better and jump back on the horse and all of that, the more prolonged it will be. It makes you a more well-rounded, empathetic person who is a better friend. So there is something productive that you'll you'll find in it and with every instance of that you're getting closer to finding you know the person that that will be your mate and that's actually good to get that out of the way because it's yeah you don't you do not and, and that's the thing actually that I think I came to in this book is that the advice as well would be uh, you would prefer to be on your own than to spend time with someone who doesn't love you back because I've oh, good, yeah. I've done the spending time with someone who doesn't love you back and it it's not a good feeling. <laughs> it's, it's a lot more painful. So much better being alone. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was single throughout most of my twenties and thirties. And so I've experienced a lot of different heartbreaks and I've had to justify each of those heartbreaks by saying, well, that one was worthwhile because I learned this or I learned that. And some of them, their relationship might've been so useless that all I learned was like a skill, like how to chop mushrooms or something. Mm. But I have to, I have to say like, nothing is ever a waste of time. I learned something from that. So no, exactly. Everyone you're with brings out a different part of you and a, a different um, – and there's something really beautiful about that, even though sometimes it's not the best parts of you, but you realise that how multifaceted you are and that you have a lot of fun with someone and you look back and you go, oh, I'm never going to have that fun again because it was that person. But it wasn't. It was you. You were there the whole time too and you didn't lose that. Uh, so – that always makes me feel a bit better as well. 
Yeah. Ah, so true. Jesse, thank you so much for your fascinating insights into food and heartbreak. It's been an absolute joy having you on Life in Food and I can't wait for everyone to get their hands on a copy of Heartsick. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed my interview with Jessie Stevens, you can buy her amazing book Heartsick in the UK and Australia now. I would also urge you to subscribe to her podcast, Mamma Mia Out Loud, a thrice weekly show covering everything from pop culture to politics, body image to motherhood and feminism to fashion. I'll put the links to Jessie's book and podcast in the show notes. You can also pre-order my debut novel, Single Bald Female, the story of Jess, a young magazine journalist who deals with the double whammy of breast cancer and a breakup before plunging herself into the murky world of online dating with a bald head. It's inspired by my own experience of being diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 29 years old. Single Bald Female is out now in Germany and it's published in the UK on the 14th of April. You can pre-order it from your local independent bookshop or from any online retailer and that would absolutely make my day. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button, give it a rating and share it with your friends as it will really help me to keep sharing these inspiring stories from some incredible people. You can also follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes, where you'll find more information about my debut novel, as well as upcoming episodes of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.